all those great statements that we say hey we are here to change the freaking world it's all bullshit you are here to make money you're here to help your customers you're here to help your pc investors make money so i went and started asking for tips started fanboying over him and the first thing he said you know hey mingify is doing well you're a millionaire and you should dress like one i clearly <laughs> remember that the first set of sentences <laughs> He said to me at the fundamental core the belief is very simple build good products hang around good friends push your life to be more curious be kind to other people I mean which I had in my 20s where I felt I had something to prove to others I want to leave a legacy all those things have completely disappeared what I want to do is just have happy days one after another almost until the last moment entrepreneurs never are happy by default so your default state is unhappy with the current environment you think because I'm, I'm unhappy with the current environment now I'm going to try to make it better I'm interested in just a number of things and then very few of those things have to do with commercial consideration for example india has the capability and the skills to be able to deliver world class products and i think paras has also done great with his product as well so for me the drive is to be the best in the world uh, i think i'm very happy just buying a 500 rupees book uh, that's financial independence for me hi this is siddharth alwalia and welcome to the neon show today i have two brilliant guests with me one is first timer on the show the other is making his second appearance after 2 years one is a co-founder of fusion charts while the other is a co-founder of Wingify both equally resilient curious and stars of the SaaS ecosystem in India we welcome Pallav Nadhani and Paras Chopra on the Neon show i would also like to thank our sponsors prime venture partners for sponsoring the neon show hope you enjoy it hi this is sadat welcome to the neon show today i have with me two brilliant guests some of the best saas entrepreneurs in india and they have built the saas ecosystem in the last 10 years in this episode we'll dive deep into their minds their thing and how do they actually you know believe in what their core thesis are at the basic pallav and paras welcome to the show thank you thank you so much sadat for having us here so pallav you have founded fusion charts you ran it for 10 years and uh paras wingify has been going on for almost i think 13 years yeah 13 years wow it has been a huge marathon for both of you right uh most people like uh in the west build companies and keep on selling it uh, right but for you both it's it's been like a life's mission so before dive i dive into the serious stuff i want to you know you both have been very dear friends like best friends so want to go back to right what how did you both meet and what caused those friendship and uh, you know for our audience uh, uh pallav has been a very dear friend i have known paras for more than a year now and pallav uh, uh people love to party with you and uh, parav uh, paras is a serious person like me so nancy commented me like before the episode that uh, siddharth you are more serious than <laughs> so, so i'll take it as a compliment you should have been to my goa party <laughs> then you would have been next year what your 37th birthday for sure <laughs> yeah so one christian siddhartha uh, fusion charts have been running for 20 years actually it's been two decades uh, on how i met paras i think we met for uh, 30 years ago yeah then i think i should tell that story so it was nascom conference i remember which year i think this is 2012 2011 or 11 one of those years yeah i was very soon after wingify was just getting just started and i was at the nascom conference i think pallav was uh, one of the panels and um, had approached him because i mean he he had been bootstrapping and i've read about fusion charts read about pallav so had and still have a lot of admiration for him so i went and started asking for tips started fanboying over him and the first thing he said you know hey uh 
Mingify is doing well. You're a millionaire, and you should dress like one. I clearly remember that the first set of sentences he said to me, and then just we just became very very natural friends. I think we bonded over a number of things uh, around our philosophy of companies, around SaaS. I learned a lot from him. Uh, so what I observe from our differences, your core beliefs are same, but your personalities are very different. Yeah, I mean. Um, Have you changed over like? Have you changed over the year? No, no, you have. I've been the same all the time, Paras. Same for me. <laughs> no, I think you are absolutely right. So, I mean, from a core belief perspective, we believe in uh, like a uh, lot of times when we're talking, like believe in fundamentally making good products. We believe in making good organizations. This mostly on the work side. We believe in uh, sort of pushing the boundaries of what we can do both at a personal level and on the professional level. Uh, the places where we're different, obviously, I mean, life takes you different. Like I have two kids. uh paras is uh, uh living slightly more on the spiritual and the, on the healthier side and more on the party side so those differences happen but at the fundamental core the belief is very simple uh build good products hang around good friends push your life to be more curious be kind to other people and all bunch of those things and i think on those things we fundamentally completely agree on the manifestation of some of the uh actions in your life be it biases be or other things those will differ across uh, different people in different stages of life Yeah and I think it's good that um like we both are not 100% alike I think that's what keeps the fun going uh I think there's always uh I mean people if they're sort of surprising each time you meet I think that keeps things interesting and I think that's the way I expect from Paul Love wherein um I think I'd get totally bored if I had a friend like myself <laughs> so uh, it's good to have someone who's not like it's, me It's been almost like 13 years of friendship It has been that year. Yeah, and the fun part is just not me and Paras, our friends. So my wife Pooja and Paras's wife Akansha is a great artist. Both of them are very good friends as well. So I think one thing we sort of also, which evolved very well for both of us, is we were able to sort of bring our family and our friends together and sort of create this ecosystem. Saying, hey, uh, what does a good life mean? How do we sort of uh, propel each other forward? Whether it's in terms of intellectual curiosity, in terms of professional uh, achievement. and when you sort of put all these pieces together instead of isolating them that possibly i think has worked out very well for yeah. us so me and my wife akansha were godparents of his kids and <laughs> and pooja's kids so very close to kids very yeah. close to pooja of course close to pallav and yeah it's been a beautiful sort of friendship and relationship that we have got you going you both meet each friday right uh, and not as often so no not as often actually yeah. so bring so i'll give you two answers to that one Do I want to meet him every Friday? Probably no. Uh, also, because each Friday for meeting, you don't have so much new things to be able to solve. Yeah. Because he's running Ninti right now, and he's going to be busy Monday to Friday on his thing. Uh, I would rather prefer to meet him, let's say, once every two weeks or three weeks, and then because it's not just hey, we meet and we just uh, gulp out a bunch of drinks. For us, most of the meetings are about hey, we sit down, we talk about a whole bunch of topics across different spectra. In fact, that's one of the reason we launched our own podcast, which was just a fun thing called What the Happened. and we said whatever we discuss on a table on a friday night why don't we just expose it which was a conscious idea actually one of those nights so if you keep meeting very frequently and you don't have like new things to discuss so for example me and paras i don't think we have a common physical manifestation of our relationship in the terms of a common sport that we play yeah like i love poker and i think it's not like um, like how your friends with say your school friends or college friends i think there is a healthy mix of professional respect so um So in that sense, it's a different kind of friendship than how would you hang out with, let's say, a school friend, where it's just totally about, say, let's say, reliving the old memories. Yeah. 
But here is a lot of like you discuss about ideas, you discuss about technology, and of course, you respect the other person as a friend also. But uh, it's slightly different from a college and a f- school friend, for example. And now I want to jump into more fun stuff. So what I'll do is I'll ask you questions. It's not rapid fire, uh, but you have to answer within one to one and a half minute. And so the each question is for, uh, has to be answered by both of you. Who goes first? So so Palav can uh, okay. go first. You're the elders ask one, so he goes. No, for the first half of question, then the okay. second half of question you have. Oh, okay, that, that's, fair. <laughs> that's fair now. Yes. So so what does pursuit of happiness means to you? So I think happiness changes based on the stage in life. Uh, there's no fixed definition of happiness in my life. So when you're young, you want to have fun, you want to party, you want to have a set plan for the every weekend, go out and do that. When you're building company, happiness is about certain goals, saying that hey, I want to achieve this and that, and you tie your happiness to that. Let's say when I got married, my happiness was about traveling with my wife, uh, spending enough time with her. Uh, when I had kids, happiness has now changed to the construct of hey, can I spend enough time with them? So from personal life, happiness is a constantly changing metric, but that should not be the goal because if you're constantly chasing just happiness and you've not sort of defined what happiness is, and it's very freaking hard to define what happiness is. You'll always be depressed, and that's the hedonistic treadmill a lot of people run on, and I'm guilty of that as well. So for me, happiness right now is very importantly at a personal level, be comfortable with who I am. Uh, even if I talk stupid, foolish, in front of everybody, I know that this is who I am. I don't need to project somebody else to somebody, and that gives you inner peace and happiness. Sort of those are combined. In a professional life, happiness is building things which I like to do. So uh, for me, and this not coming from bootstrap world, but fundamentally, I believe in. uh what feels like work to other people if it feels like play to you do that work because then your life is going to be very very enjoyable and avoid having too many guns to your head the more you have the freedom to do the things that you want to do and you enjoy it and you are able to sort of propel that forward that inherently is happiness and i know paris is a nihilist or at least was a nihilist very not anymore not anymore <laughs> So for me, happiness. I mean, coming from that construct back, for me, happiness is to hey, live your life. We are all ephemeral creatures at the end of the world in a very philosophical construct. Uh, why a part of the world says go do the most ambitious thing in the world, a part of the world says life doesn't have meaning. Somewhere in the between, you have to find your own spectrum of happiness, and it's very, very subjective and con- uh, contextual in that overall uh, sense. Arush, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, happiness is being you know seven out of ten in all the domains. So. Um, I mean, usually we end up thinking, you know, a single source will give us happiness, and you end to overdo it. It could be anything in life. Uh, you could even overdo things like fitness. You could overdo being involved in relationships. You could overdo pursuit of money. And I think, uh, like the old saying goes, right? Excess of anything becomes sort of a poison. Um, yeah. So for me, happiness is shooting above median on most of the aspects that the old wisdom says gives you happiness, but not obsessing over them. So. it's you can imagine it to be like a healthier balance but on trying to be on the positive side and not being you know average on almost everything i think we need to get you more beer <laughs> the others they're not coming from the core yeah. so that's what i believe in so also one that uh, so lot of times as and this probably from an entrepreneurial aspect we sort of define our happiness tied to a goal yeah if we hit a funding milestone or if we hit a revenue milestone or if we hit this big deal we are like hey we are always chasing a goal and more and more i think either it's a function of age or the way we evolved uh like if you look at let's say the spiritual side of what teaches like find happiness in everything so now i'm forcing myself to sort of find happiness in the smallest things like with kids and that is sort of something which you normally don't realize before the kids uh that a normal smile or one naughty thing they do 
it gives you immense amount of happiness on a constant basis then you stop seeking that one big goal and the what you talk about the balance so it has to be balanced between the small uh, what we call the dopamine rushes and the large goals that you're able to balance in between those i think evolutionarily speaking happiness is sort of like a signal that things are going well for you so by this definition no single thing can be a source of happiness because as soon as you try to over optimize it you know it just comes at a cost of neglecting something else so it just means that that healthy balance of multiple things if there is any source of happiness it can just be a balance of multiple things no single source will give you that the next one is what does entrepreneurship mean to you be uh, be in control of your life most importantly the sub construct of that is the crux of entrepreneurship is two things build things people want sell it at more than what it costs and this is entrepreneurship and i'm not talking about where you're trying to change the world uh the whole construct around pelisa entrepreneurship versus business it's i think it's sort of a fine line between that in like how do you sort of say is this a business a businessman or is this a entrepreneur you will say hey somebody who's trading is a businessman but somebody who's creating a new thing is an entrepreneur but if you look at some of the biggest businesses in the world they are basically marketplaces they are trading so what is the fine line between that so in my mind entrepreneurship at the crux of it is hey i need to build something where i deliver value to people and i need to capture value out of that this is actually from parasis framework create value and capture value if you only create value and don't capture value uh you were just a company was losing money or probably a hobby project you are wikipedia you are wikipedia nine star worlds they create value don't capture it lot of open source projects are about that right? i still have huge respect i was going to uh, talk about a whole bunch of funded companies of no freaking idea how to really make money if the funding stops yeah. so you create value and you capture value and that's what on the pinnership is about and the second thing about on the pinnership is about uh, are you having fun while doing it see uh, if you look at a trading business people are doing that day in and day out it's the same repeatable playbook and they are optimizing for certain things uh, let's say whether it's your credit policy or whether it's your working capital and whole bunch of things in entrepreneurship you're saying hey the number of dimensions that i can play on is infinite then i have to pick a dimension where i'm really really good at and that's where you drive inside and you say i'm going to unlock that inside and build on top of that so uh, yeah it's just creating more value for customers creating more value for yourself for your team members and everybody else while having fun at doing it yeah for me it's uh, i think thinking and acting independently and in that sense uh, i would club a lot of uh, pioneer scientists artists and anyone who goes beyond just general societal constructs to do something new uh, so entrepreneurship is for me not getting defined by the role society expects you to because everyone sort of ends up getting solidified into the expectations they have even if you are a professor there is certain expectations you have and not all professors are for example entrepreneurs but someone who goes against what society expects them to be like say uh, they end up just going and creating like a new theory that to me is an entrepreneur so in that sense i think there's a fine line between a businessman and an entrepreneur a businessman can still act uh, in a way how business people are expected to act but i think i would define entrepreneur as someone who's fundamentally unpredictable because they'll end up doing something which you know nobody's expecting so surprise of action is a i think a big big factor for me when it comes to how i define entrepreneurship so very interestingly parasi said that scientists can also be classified as entrepreneurs is it only when they commercialize their invention or you know i'm not associating it with like commercial utility at all i mean entrepreneurship i think it comes from a french word if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and it it literally means uh, venturing into unknown 
I think that's a literal definition of it. And I think a scientist who plays it safe just does incremental things, publishes paper because scientists are expected to publish papers. I think that scientist is not an entrepreneur for me. But someone who just takes the risk, even a career risk, spends hmm. three years, even if it doesn't end up becoming any fruitful. Mm-hmm. But they at least try to do something which is new and expected. I think that scientist would be an entrepreneur for me. So then if you have to sort of frameworkize it, uh, would you say where the risk-reward equation people are playing for the upside reward with a major risk? I think I would say it's more to do with uncertainty, wherein if someone is doing something which nobody expects to work out, <laughs> that person is an entrepreneur for me. But it's very clear that A will lead to B and will lead to C. It's not normal. So trade people who do trading, they're not mm-hmm. entrepreneurs by this definition. Sure. But people who are building a toy, just like say Satoshi Nakamoto was mm-hmm. building an algorithm. Everybody thought was very weird, uncertain, crazy. He's an entrepreneur, even if he's not creating or capturing. I mean, he's obviously creating a lot of economic value, but not capturing that. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of dealing from any commercial consideration for me. Look at the Genesis block. Yes. I'll tell you for both, uh, both of these questions, right? For me, both of these mean freedom. Happiness also means freedom to me, right? Freedom in the relationships that I have, right? How free I feel. Uh, not the way, right? <laughs> On the extreme side, but put in a balanced way. And entrepreneurship also means freedom. Yeah, right? It's something that you own your time. But actually, I mean, I think I had the same view, but I'm sort of evolving from that because nobody is truly free. We like to believe it, but even the richest person... Yeah. Uh, they would be obligated to someone. They're obligated to certain contracts, obligated to relationships, obligated to their kids. So the notion of complete freedom, I think it's sort of like a misnomer. And 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 I think on the opposite side, people who are so-called not free, they can be very, very happy as well. Because they've made internal peace with who they are and what their destiny is going to be. But but uh, both people who went deep into you know entrepreneurship as well as the definition of happiness were rebels initially. So, so I think that's the antithesis. Entrepreneurs never are happy by default. So your default state is unhappy with the current environment. You're saying because I'm, I'm unhappy with the current environment, I'm going to strive to make it better. Yeah. And the moment you hit that goal, you're like, I need to find a new goal. So if you look at, uh, so if you sort of divide, uh, go further, uh, building something new can be in three layers. So you are either a business person, you're just trading, you're a remixer, you take ideas from here, you do something here and you sort of create a new model which is either capital allocation and you're remixing and then you're something like where you're true blue creating something new if we go on the right side of it every time you achieve a goal you're like Achha, ye ho gaya. next what do I do so you by default after a couple of months or a t- period in time you're unhappy with your current state and that's it yeah. I, I think there's a clarification of terms needed and I remember I was talking to my trainer and you know I asked him out of the blue are you happy and he said a really beautiful thing that stayed with me he said you know I'm happy but not satisfied I think that's a similar thing yeah. with the entrepreneurs that you can be terribly happy, but you are perennially dissatisfied with the state of the world. I think that's a good state yeah. to be in where uh, you're dealing these two things. You're completely happy on day-to-day world, uh, day-to-day sense, but you're not really given up on any change. You want to change things around you. You want to change in the world. You're not satisfied by how things are. But that shouldn't really sort of determine whether you're ha- happy or unhappy. But, but somebody who is not unhappy will not ever pursue entrepreneurship, right? It can be happiness and unsatisfaction, like Parasit. And that's what I'm saying. You can be happy, but yeah. not satisfied. 
Right. Because somebody who is not unhappy will never pursue entrepreneurship. Like happy people don't create companies. That's yeah. what you're saying, right? And I don't think that's true. Uh, that's what I'm thinking also. Huh. There's lots of happy people running around. So, so happy? And I think it's a terrible state of the world if yeah, yeah. all the innovation has happened by just no, what, what I meant to unhappy say. people. Uh, happy but completely unsatisfied, right? And somehow this un- unsatisfied... Uh, dissatisfaction is yeah. so 100% agree i 100% agree that you have to be dissatisfied to be an entrepreneur if you're satisfied you're just okay with day to day evolution of how things are happening but you'll only venture out if you're just it can be curiosity it yeah. can be any feeling curiosity is also like a fundamental form of happiness right you are pursuing your own curiosity and that gives you happiness yeah but you're dissatisfied because you don't know what's out there yeah. that's why i think this distinction is important you don't have to feel sorry about yourself in order to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. In fact, you'll be a terrible entrepreneur if you're unhappy. Sure. You'll just give up too soon. It's just so hard. Unless you are enjoying your job day to day, you'll just give up in the first instance of a barrier and you'll say, I don't like this. Yes, yeah, so I concur with that. So the only thing, like if you look at why do people start companies? Either they have a pain point that they want to solve. Either they have a clarity of thought that, hey, I want to achieve this, which is more on the creep side of it. And some of those are tourist entrepreneurs, but some of them also work out very well. Or you have a fundamental uh, disagreement of with the current state of the world, saying that the world should be much better compared to what it is today. I don't think any of these three start with the point of unhappiness. You're dissatisfied with what's there in the world. And what you're agreeing to do is, uh, for the next maybe 10 to 20 years, you're agreeing to put yourself in a path of major pain, major disappointments. And that's a choice that you make. And if you're unhappy to start with, you will not do that. Because then you're trying to find a way out to, hey, let me first be happy. So, happy, but I think unsatisfied is a better construct from that. Uh, I think as a side note, most I feel most people start companies because they want to prove to their parents <laughs> so that they can sort of... So I think generally, I mean, if you go in the deep into... Hmm, like as growing up maybe they they've had a, developed a sense that sure. they need to prove themselves hmm. i mean i think to a large extent entrepreneurship is driven by the fact that they have to prove and that the shorter actually is a great uh, sort of uh, qualifier metric for a lot of entrepreneurs who've succeeded because uh this is something i learned from uh botha he was in uh, india sequoia uh, see, uh, i think senior partner or one of the co-founders. He said one of the best metrics we have seen in our Sequoia portfolio companies across the world. The founders who have succeeded, they always had a chip on the shoulder. Because in the and in your journey of entrepreneurship, you'll hit deep, dark moments. The moment you hit that, for you not to give up, is you just remember what is your chip on the shoulder? What are you trying to do? That very innate personal need to prove. Like he gave a few examples just about 15 years ago. Like if you're a kid who was bullied in the school, but like, I'm going to show to every other kid, you know what, I was smarter than you. If you're a nerd in the school. And that deep in it, because that has been sort of grooved in your mind, in your formative years for about good 8 to 10 years in your primary school. And that feeling is very, very deep. Like, I'm going to show, all those, show to all those jocks, I'm smarter than you. And even in fear, in the deepest, darkest fears in that journey, uh, some of those work from a psychological perspective to be able to say, I'm going to persevere. Yeah, so, I think, I mean, personally for me, if I was my fifth attempt at doing a startup, and I just kept trying again and again and again. And I think every time I was just questioning that if I am not yeah. smart enough to... Like I was just proving to myself that why can't I succeed if I am keeping on failing again and again. 
he was just to prove and with wingify my goal was to make 50000 rupees because i felt and that's the salary i was making and i felt that if i can't even make that amount of money for myself as an entrepreneur am i like so bad at this so and and i'm pretty sure wingify would not have worked out i would have tried six or seven times the same reason and the chip on the shoulder i just wanted to prove to myself that i'm not as bad uh at building something so is that this satisfaction yeah can i just make my first dollar let alone like a million dollars or more but making the first dollar was just a very very strong driver for me and you made like 2 lakh rupees in the first month right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's all luck like i would say that ascribe it to luck but again you can amplify luck if you're trying again and again and again so you both have never worked for somebody else no, i have not right. i have worked for one year my first job but i was building wingify on the side yeah so the first day of my job i had told my boss i'll do this during weekends and evenings and most likely i'll not be here the next year but he was totally fine i totally respect him for that he gave a lot of freedom for me to build things but yeah very very briefly yeah so do you wish that you are missing something maybe a larger scale that you have ever imagined to say for example like somebody who has worked at facebook meta right? they would think that that meta is the ultimate thing that i want to build and let me absorb the best from meta Okay, let me rephrase this question. Should I have done something be more ambitious? No. Like, do, do, Would I have? Do you think? Do you wish that you are missing something, or do you think that you are missing something by not having? No, I don't think so. So, let me give you a simple example. There are, let's say, a uh, couple of hundred thousand people at Google, Apple, Meta, all of those. How many of those have created the next Meta, Apple, Facebook, or whatever it is? When you are working somewhere, you get to understand the scale in terms of systems and processes. That's that learning. I definitely want to have, but. Can I get that learning without working for them? Absolutely yes. Here are three ways I'll do that. One, hire one of those guys who has been there. Two, talk to a whole bunch of guys and just learn from them. Three, most of these companies put out the systems and processes, blocks and everything. Now for me, the second thing is when you look at a very large company and you try to adopt the system and skills, uh, processes, it will not default work for you because that works for a certain scale. So this from an implementation perspective, from an ambition perspective. I think that is very contextual to each founder. So I'll give you for example, like uh, so I sold Fusion Charts in 2020, then I sold the next one in 2022. For the last uh, year and a half or a quarter now, uh, I've been unemployed, pretty much unemployed, jobless, uh, just needing around trying to figure out what next to do. Uh, even when I think about what next to do, I have my first way to look at this is what do I like in the next something when I'm going to build? What are the things I don't want? So I don't want anything which is with regulatory impact. anything which is highly operational sort of like consumer where every hour you cannot sleep like in a b2b you build a software you release it customers like it very rarely shit hits the fan so i have a via negativa which i call in that sense what i don't want to do but that's my choice because now i've sort of optimized my life to be able to say hey how do i get a good night's of sleep how do i spend enough time with my kids and that's very personal now do i aspire to be a billion dollar company i don't know yet now it's a very personal founder market fit as a sort of uh assumption that you make that you want to scale yeah at fusion charts do we want to scale further we did as much as we could there were market forces which did not allow us to scale further do i want to scale further for sure yes but not at the cost of some of the uh design choices for my life and i think the every founder when they want to grow see when you are young you are hugely like you are like you have no holds barred you try to do everything but as life moves on you have some constraints in life uh there are certain outliers obviously where they say i'm going to change the world uh 99% and this is a controversial statement I'm going to say 
every founder says i'm gonna change the world b2b me nobody changes the world you're not changing anything world very simple in consumer in deep tech science yes you are changing the world so all those great statements that we say hey we are here to change the freaking world it's all bullshit you are here to make money you're here to help your customers you're here to help your vc investors make money find your aspiration level it's okay to say i'm going to build, build a billion dollar company and be do it it's okay also to say i'm going to build a 100 million dollar company there are so many 5 million dollar companies which could have been 5 million dollar companies who have died because they went the vc route and then they realized i'm in a no man's land and that is a freaking problem so one thing when you talk about ambition and the scale as a founder you need to realize what in my life i'm not willing to give up and what am i building it for and be real to yourself and the moment you say because i want to be like that another unicorn founder or i want to be in the social circuit it's good for a day but the journey is 10 to 15 20 years and if that uh, choices does not reflect your lifestyle choices your personality your design choices of life it is going to be absolute mayhem so which is where when you think of skill do uh, do i want to be a facebook to no, fuck no the amount of pressure like imagine sitting in front of a congressional hearing everybody asking you stupid questions no i want to do that no i want to think for in that sense i mean regrets are slightly uh, they're like cognitive biases because you can't just yeah. choose one aspect of someone else's life and say i wish i were like that you'll have to just take that replace yourself with that entire person so even if it's a celebrity you know you can't just expect to have the fame and the security of not being recognized and chased Uh, you'll have to just have the both, you know, goods and bads. And in that sense, I think regrets. Uh, I mean, I personally don't believe in any regrets at all because I think you can't just pick one thread from history and imagine if my life was that because you'll automatically choose the best version of it, right? You'll not, let's say, imagine if you were in Meta, maybe you would have gotten embroiled in politics, maybe you would have chosen a different path altogether. This is almost infinite ways history can unfold. So picking that just one and say, I wish it were that. This is infinity of other all history. Your life could have been like that. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely zero regrets. Yeah, but let's say uh, you ran Wingify for thirteen years, and before starting Ninty, right? You thought like, let me at least try to work for the best person uh, in the world uh, possibly, so that maybe when I am building Ninty, but there is no best person, right? Or best, whoever you consider, right? So I know, but best. it's always best in something yeah like people are best in archery people are best in selling people are best in xyz so if there is things to learn i agree there is so many things you can learn from specific but like pallav said i don't think you have to necessarily work for someone to learn like like this podcast there's yes. so many great resources out there uh, i think it's a high cost to pay yeah i think that there are both ways right so so i'll i'll tell you right how how do i made that choice So I started entrepreneurship like right out of college. Just worked for nine months, and while working at Amdocs, I was building my startup at night. Right. So when I sold that startup in 2017, after running it for five years and worked with the acquired company for two years, I thought I had super amount of hustle, but I didn't have like a, the the best processes. So what do I do? When I wanted to you know build next in SaaS, I thought let me go out and I wanted to learn venture capital. So I worked with a VC firm that I admired. I went with with Prime. Right, and I thought Prime. I'm not still, you know, there in terms of thinking in processes, and I want to just say give next 20, 30 years building large SaaS companies in whatever form. Right, so, uh, later on fund came. Uh, then I thought, let me try with Amazon Web Services, the largest SaaS company in the world. Let me try to observe their processes, be a part of it. I think it depends on personal yeah. motivations. For me, companies are a 
vehicle for something else. Yeah. Like for me, companies, I mean, I don't want to build a company for company's sake. In fact, it was, if it was possible to do what I want to do without a company, it's better to do that. Why get all the operational craft? So, uh, huh, when I'm, when I'm doing Ninty, it's from a very different source of motivation and inspiration than saying something like, I want to have the best process in the company. I'd rather have no process at all yeah. and focus on what I'm motivated by. Yeah, it's a completely personal choice. Even like I can tell from my own choice, uh, uh, when I started building the fund, right? Uh, I always long to build a like a really large company. So, uh, let's say if I can't get, you know, like Pallav as a co-founder, at least can I be a part of Pallav's journey? The, the co-founders that I admired, right? Mm-hmm. Can I be of someone of so value that they even look up to? So, so the thought process comes from there. Yeah, so it's, I think, very, very personal motivation yeah. in that sense. So just to add on that, so when you go and work for a company, so let me pull out some very tactical points. So you don't get access to everything out there. Yeah. You are a cog in the wheel. You only get to learn what you're exposed to. Bunch of your learning is dependent on your peers and manager. Yeah. You don't control that. Third, bunch of those learnings don't sort of uh, directly, you can sort of uh, apply it back to your small startup because what works for a big company 99% would not work for a small company. Number five, in that sense, whatever you are learning out there, you are learning it at a pace based on company's choice. Here, when you're building your own startup, like I believe fundamentally that the best way of learning is doing it yourself. So the reason, I mean, in my case, it was not just a choice. It just happened randomly, call it sheer luck, like force of nature, that I didn't have to work for somebody else. But if I have to learn something new, I will probably not look at saying, hey, I'm going to join this company. I'm probably going to say, who do I want to learn from? What do I want to learn from him? And what is the best way for me to learn from him in the minimum amount of time commitment? Even if it means I'll be interned to him for four hours a day for a particular topic. I don't want to learn. No person is good at everything. Yeah. No company is good at everything. And also when you're learning about a particular topic, the good thing is like with the deluge of the information in the world, podcasts, books, everything. But 80 to 90% of surface area you can cover just by sort of knowing what to freaking search on Google or YouTube or one of the uh, podcast channels out there. And all of that is fairly available. 80 to 90% chance you can connect to that guy and say, hey, I have three tactical questions. I freaking love your podcast. Can you please help me understand it? This is my context. You start a conversation because you're trying to basically say, what do I not know about a particular thing? You're covering the breadth. Then you're saying, okay, these three things which are very contextual to me, I want your opinion. Then you're going to the depth. Why do I need to spend a year at a company to do that? That's like, Maybe what, two days of work? Yes, I think the right question to ask when it comes to learning is what's the most efficient yeah. way of learning? Yeah. Uh, and getting a job at some place might not be the most efficient in certain contexts or in, even in most contexts. Maybe that's a bias, but I please that, right? If Girish wouldn't have worked at Soho for an X amount of time, sure. uh, fresh work wouldn't have been there. No, but I mean, there's lots of cases. That's, that's very survivorship bias. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Zuckerberg didn't yeah. work anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for any example, you can find a counterexample. Yeah. Google is okay. Yes. Yeah, half of, I mean, it's very survivorship bias because you're thinking that he's applied the same playbook. No, he's applied a lot of new things as well. Quite interestingly, I think if you take like a top 10 tech companies, top 100, more likely than not, people would not have worked anywhere else. Bill Gates, I think he's never worked anywhere else. Zuckerberg has never worked. Yeah. Google has never worked anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, then Zuckerberg has never worked anywhere. Staff founder has never worked anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Most of this. So, we can uh, I think we're over indexing on that. Yeah. So it's good to have mentors. It's good to have somebody to ask a uh, question. But I think in the current world where the world is hyper-network, 
uh, like we say we are six connections away from anybody. I think at our Strata we are probably two or three connections away from anybody in the industry that we are in. You ask a question and you frame it nicely, you get an answer. And I think when you're building stuff, uh, people are more likely to give you feedback because they have a reference point versus you're asking a very theoretical question. Yeah. So you're going ahead and saying, I'm building a social network. How do I solve this particular problem? I think people are very much likely to give you an answer versus if you approach someone and says, can what you just mentor me? No, no, what should I build today? <laughs> can I just, no, can you just mentor me also if it's contextual? What should I build today? I mean, no, but mentor people come and ask me that, mm. can you be my mentor? And that's such a, like a vague it's question, tough. which like I obviously can't mentor you, yeah. right? You're giving me no reason to tell me that uh, this is going to be helpful or you're not even providing me what do you want to be mentored on. So uh, I guess the more specific you are about the learning, the more efficient it can be. And uh, most entrepreneurs, you know, when they start, they say that we want to make an impact on the world, right? Uh, did you, when you both started or even during the journey that you had such notion that we are creating X impact? So I'm going to be very brutally honest about it. Number one impact you're going to make in your world is your own, in your own life, in a B2B. See, if you're solving very hard science problems, you solve cancer, you're making impact on the world. You move people to Mars, you're solving it. So if you're talking about a B2B freaking product, whatever you do, everything is freaking marketing speaks. We are not making any impact on anybody's world in that fundamental sense. But that being said, the impact we make in the world, let's say we help them get promoted. We help them look good in their careers which is meaningful impact in their own personal life. So making an impact in our lives, we're making a meaningful impact in their lives, but there's no, hey, we're going to change the world. So that's all marketing bullshit. In my post, so I think there's two ways to look at it. One, changing the world. Even in B2B sense, you are changing the world. Uh, even by just existing, you're changing the world, right? Oh. So it's a continuum. Like oh. You are ch- you're interacting oh, with people. You're the world. That's what I'm saying. Right? It's a vacuous. If you really drill it down, when do you say you've changed the world? What's the threshold? There's no objective sense of threshold. It's very, very personal. But in, when it comes to companies, I think um, missions of companies are good stories, um, but they always take a backseat when it comes to companies being in the marketplace because almost always the economic considerations takes the forefront. So Google's don't be evil, Apple's think different, whatever mission statements, they are great for you to believe that you are doing something meaningful. But the whole logic of capitalism, I think that forces you to prioritize so, like the first iPhone changed the freaking world. screen. It has not yeah. changed the world in the last that much years. Yeah, you get better apps, faster processor. The first one was absolutely world changing. It got so many people more connected. You have one device to do a whole bunch of things. Between the first and now, that's incremental change. And they're just backing on top of that. But why do you have so, to change the world? I mean, that's a fundamental question exactly. you should ask yourself. No, why? Because every entrepreneur wants to say, hey, we are here to make an impact in the world, make a dent in the world, change the world. That's a classic statement. Everybody because nobody wants to admit the dirty truth that you need to make money. Exactly. For a yeah, you have to raise money from investors. Investors need to make money. You need to make yeah, money. That's you always need to make money. You have that's to return. 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 Yeah. Correct. No, so on the science side, which is what I'm slightly differentiating. So like, you do something on, let's say... But, I mean, in that sense, I think the reason businesses exist is to commercialize. There's only one reason for business to yeah. exist, to create value for shareholders. To commercialize. So, in yeah. that sense, I mean, scientists, obviously, uh, they exist purely for, like, discovering new and novel things, right? So, so something which changes the world, like, helping you save life, like a vaccine, that saves your life, that changes your life. You work so hard to raise money for, exactly. like, a deep tech company, and the reason for that is the expected returns are so much lower versus building, let's say, a B2B company. Correct. Yeah. Like as an investor, if you're purely going by your like returns logic, 
Sure. You would never fund a very, very risky scientific bet. Minus some investors, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And But that's how things are, right? And that's why governments have to play a role in sort of really sponsoring scientific research. There's a fun thing uh, I was reading somewhere. Actually, one of the YouTube videos I was watching. So, you know, this vacation uh, timeshare properties. Timeshare properties convince that people and they try to convince other people we help save people's life. What are you selling? Timeshare, we are selling vacation renters. And it's one of the most uh, sort of gnarly business to be in because you're convincing somebody to part with the money of the life and you give shitty services. But the way they convince their people and then, you know how we save life? Because people, when they go to vacation, they're less stressed. If they're less stressed, they'll be healthier. If they're healthier, they will die lesser. Like it's like a long, elaborate process of convincing yourself that you are selling a shitty fucking product, but we have to build a marketing message out of it. So I think a lot of this is marketing speak, a lot of this. So, but I, did, I think everyone in their heart, they knows. No, that's a problem. Like they're not changing they the word. No, that's, 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 right? that's, that's the illusion. So we have sort of agreed to it. And that is it. No, I think people suspect they're not changing the world. No, it's a lot of people actually believe. So that conflation of that fact, he, hey, so I am very open with somebody says, Mereko paise banana. that is why I started my company. I'm very open with somebody saying, I'm really changing the world. And if you're doing that, hey, kudos to you. But somebody who's building another, let's say hypothetically, sorry, Paris, no dig at you, sending a marketing message when I already get 30 on my phones every on my uh, average day, and you're saying I'm going to change the world because I help my customers sell more products to the other guys when both of them have no need and we're creating more mess in the world. That's not changing the world. Then be very clear. Yeah? You want to make money for yourself, for your investors, be clear. But the thing which happens is for you to hire your people, you have to build a story around it. So everything sort of uh, mothballs into a bigger and bigger and a bigger mothball. And then yeah, you nobody know, would work at a company that says we exist to make profit. <laughs> that's the well, that's the most honest. They, they were thinking, give us more of your profit. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but what I was coming to is right up. Uh, entrepreneurs, they, for example, Zook might try to make sure that Facebook or Meta is the most relevant thing that existed in his lifetime. Right. That's why there are so many attempts now, threads. Uh, like even entrepreneurs, when we are talking about, they want to make an impact. But I was saying it. Uh, uh, Impacts are just very dust in point of time. Even everything, right? That's yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. I mean, even Earth wouldn't exist in a billion years. So, yeah. so, uh-huh. so why, this is just, or why the need having to fun along yeah, the way? So that's why the need to create why, along the way. Why the story so having make an impact? Along the way. Right? Fun, so, while you're alive, you do something interesting. Uh, and that's about it. Huh? So, legacy from a point of view of an ego issue. I don't believe that. Legacy from a point of view of building a institution which is like sustained for years and delivered value. I completely agree, but that's the function of, see, tech name obsolution is so high. So here's a fun fact. IBM has about $100 billion in revenue today, even today. Nobody considers IBM in the tech industry or a startup industry to be a, oh, this is a great freaking company. Like none of their products, any of the startups use $100 billion in revenue. Yahapar at $1 billion in revenue, we celebrate, oh, not unicorn. They are a $1 billion revenue company. Wo $100 billion kab se karte aare. But that legacy of that has not sustained now for us in the start but if you go to the big enterprises they're like IBM freaking works for us so legacy also is kiskil up legacy shoulder hypothetically let's say if for, like there are fashion brands who have a legacy for 200 300 years you might not even have heard of it they might live in that sphere of their influence and for them that is important is it an ego thing is it a value add and the way we look at this is every ecosystem is not about just this unidimensional factor there are so many things which make an ecosystem if you combine ecosystems of ecosystem, there are more things to be combined. One legacy, when you say, 
in tech industry nobody else will know so what are you leaving the legacy for i think legacy is proxy for trying to be mortal not die i think it's the same reason why people have kids so that some part of it can continue for entrepreneurs if companies are almost like kids it's just natural to expect that they would last beyond their own lives but thinking that it's something stable source of presence across the end of time that's obviously a big big cognitive bias that doesn't happen if something like solar system would exist in the long run of things then uh, your company is just like a drop in the ocean maybe that comes from the selfish gene the book explained by richard dawkins yeah i mean everything i mean if you've read the book denial of death the reason people wage wars is simply because they can't believe they'll be dead once so they just want to pursue bigger and bigger things uh in hopes of just creating the so called bigger and bigger impact so that they they're at least in people's minds they last beyond their own body right it's just this pursuit of this wrong idea of being immortal the next is what does drive you then give a kick history stable theory so for me uh what i've uh, what i like to really do is uh again based on what i've done in the past is i really like polished products from india so when i bought fusion charts also we were one of the very early products hold on hold on the thought right so drive is very personal right for for me uh there's two kind of drive right one is professional drive when i have to go back into it for me the drive is learning right putting myself in a environment where i'm constantly learning so let's go back uh for me in that case the drive is to really put out uh so let's take a step back the reason why i like that drive of building the best products from india is i don't want to be living under a colonial hangover saying ki hum india se kali surfaces kar sakte hain and as which is where i was building to the story as well when we were fusion charts we are the best starting library in the world bit of whole bunch of other products as well second company as well i fundamentally believe that india has the capability and the skills to be able to deliver world class products and i think paras has also done great with his product as well so for me the drive is to be the best in the world in that particular area that i own so in the last two stints it was about data visualization i was really 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 good at that and uh, we built two companies and we sold two out of that uh, now the drive is again to be able to say hey what is that one insight or what is that area where i want to be so good that i am not just said hey this is a guy from india it has to be oh like i'll tell you story fusion charts when we were selling bunch of our customers when we went to us at the trade show they said if we realize you are from india we would have asked a discount in india we made a bunch of indian customers they said if you knew you were from india we would not even have bought you because if put that polish out there so for me that drive is to really really build that great things in terms of product great things in terms of customer experience and whatever it takes for me to learn to be able to do that personal drive right now is more about uh, me designing my life in a way where i have literally zero guns to my head so while para said that nobody is free in the world i'll partly agree to it but in most of the context i have no guns to the head i'll give you an example uh, i was talking to a friend uh fun story uh when he signed his vc term sheet the vc informally told him you cannot tweet anything about politics i'm like i'm living in a country which is a democracy if i don't voice my opinion as a civic member of the society as a member who's contributing his taxes and his duties why what the am i doing here now for vcs because that can become a turmoil at some point in time that freedom because i have i've not raised money and of zero goes to my head i value that freedom of my ability to express my thoughts ability to do my actions ability to be stupid but still be able to say hey while i contribute value i have a personal life and i want to uh, not 
project an image of what I am not. And that drive is very, very clear to me that this is who I am. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to teach my kids. This is where I can add value, not just to me, to people I help, to founders I, uh, I've invested in or help them with, to friends who are a part of my life. And, uh, and I'm going to be real with them. And to be able to do that, there's a lot of things you need to sort of put in motion to be able to say, this is who I am. This is why I am able to do certain things. That's my personal drive in that sense. Yeah, so my drive is uh, creating, solving problems in a very creative way. So it's almost like, again, um, creativity plays a big role, wherein, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say entrepreneurship problems or product problems are hard problems uh, in the sense of intellectually hard, but I think they're hard in the sense of being so multidimensional that the answer is not obvious in the first go. So I really, really enjoy the process of navigating the different constraints and trade-offs and being able to find a creative solution. And I think the feedback to that solution when someone out there uses your product and says, you know, this is really good. I think that's the biggest driver. And can you build something that other people love? And building something that other people love is a very, very non-trivial problem because people are generally running around being more or less satisfied with their life. So how can you build something that people say, I was missing this in my life? I think that's that's a big driver. I think one of your other big drives is also exploration of very diverse set of topics, diverse set of people that you meet. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I was you talking about You try not to be unidimensional. Yeah. Like you become a more sort of... A in, at least in really from a professional context, I think the driver is to solve these problems. But obviously, at a personal level, I think my biggest driver is just curiosity. So I would be equally interested in, let's say, uh, theoretical physics psychology, evolution, and all those things. I just want to learn more and more. And I think creating products is also like one way of learning a lot of what makes people tick. And um, yeah, that's what sort of sort of gets me up every morning. So one observation I have, right? Uh, Balav, you have invested in more than 100 companies, right? And uh, you would have absorbed something from uh, Paris through these 11 years or 13 years of friendship. And... Uh, you have invested in very few companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't like angel investments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, just want to touch upon this topic, right? Uh, uh, because Pallu would have been a huge impact, right? And uh, because he was such a dear friend, professionally, personally. So, so why did this then seep into your life for the last 11, 12 years? I think, I mean, for me, um, like learning is a much broader, like, like I said, you know, uh, I'm interested in just a number of things and very few of those things have to do with commercial consideration, for example. Uh, and, and angel investment, I'm sure it gives a lot of learning, but I think it gives learning in a very specific context. Uh, I mean, I would happily pay for someone to teach me quantum physics, even if it's an investment, not investment. So in that sense, my drives are much, much sort of broader in domains versus being very interested in just what makes money. Um, so, and it's also a lot of effort. It's a lot of time investment. I mean, I, I mean, I believe I, I mean, if someone is doing angel investments for making money, I think it's a much more expensive way to do versus putting something in just the index funds and letting market do the job. But if someone is doing angel investments for learning, I totally understand that. But that learning only happens in a very certain context. So, what's your drive of angel investing like? So, uh, it has changed over the stages. So, when I started in 2000, I think I wrote my first check in 2010 or 11. It was in Calcutta. 
So me and Abhishek wrote down runs in this tech, uh, technologies bit size services firm. We realized that whole bunch of VCs are there in uh, North, West and South. Nobody is investing in the Calcutta ecosystem. At that point in time, I was in Calcutta for about 10 years. So we're like, hey, can, and both of us were bootstrapped on the pillars. We still are bootstrapped on the pillars. And we're like, hey, we need to do a bunch of things for Calcutta. We started the fund. Unfortunate fact, for the first three years, we could not find any good company in Calcutta to invest. Uh, 2010, we started the fund. Uh, when I say the fund, we didn't raise money from other people. It was just a brand seeders. It was mine and Abhishek's money. 11, I moved to Bangalore. And then every city you move, like uh, upper tier, you realize the quality of the entrepreneurs go higher. So uh, now sort of there's a playing field between US and India entrepreneurs. In most of the cases, there are certain deep tech cases where US entrepreneurs have a much larger vision, ambition, or a local market uh, scenario with that says. So when first time I started investing, my thesis was let's build something for the Calcutta ecosystem. When I moved to Bangalore, I was like, let me figure out what are the better companies out there in Bangalore because suddenly you were like, you've been, you're literally you're like a fish in the pod. You've been thrown from a, sorry, fish in the well. You've been thrown from a fish in the well to fish in the pond. And then when you look at US, like you're a fish in the ocean in that sense. So when I came here, they realized, hey, there's so much learning for me. So my first incentive was to learn. Then the third was when this is about probably 2014 till about 18, 19, where I did far and few. It was about hey, this money to be made. So uh, there is a financial incentive, no doubt. But what I did uh, initially, I would invest in a lot of different sort of uh, industries. Whether it's back in the days, it was not called D2C, sort of B2C lelo, B2B lelo. We did offline businesses, whole bunch of those. We even did investments where we said our Uh, gains are not going to be on the capital gains, which is on the equity. We are going to take dividend. We made a whole bunch of mistakes out there. So there was we really record that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we said, "Hey, everybody invest in capital gains." And we did a couple of companies. Didn't work out. Obviously, we thought that we are dividend or selling it and profit sharing. Hoga and all of that didn't work out. So for us, it was and every time I did that, there were new learnings which are coming in. So then I started investing in a couple of media companies, which helped me understand how media works. So now my thesis is basically twofold. One. Can I get to learn a new thing by being in a navigator seat, not in a driver seat? Because when you are running your own company, you can't run another company, practically. So the kind of learnings I've had on how a media business operates, or how a B two C operates, or how a, a B two C health company operates, just by reading what's happening with them, or sitting on a once a quarter, once a uh, once in every six months with the founder over beers and talking about bhai chal kya hai, batao mere ko, where can I help? And then every founder brings in so two questions are asked every founder. What are the interesting growth hacks that you have done? What are the interesting hacks you have done overall in the company? And each one has a story. Most of those will not be published because they are too uh, eccentric to be published in a media. And when you talk about it, like you either have a good laugh or you're like, "This is beautiful." And more and more, when you do that, you realize there's a lot of different uh, founders doing different things in a different way, which is learning for you. And I could take some of those learnings and apply in my company. Now, because I'm jobless and unemployed. Uh, when I invest in a new company, I'm like, hey, is there ability to sort of scale this up while learning and while helping the founder as well? So for me, uh, uh, if you ask me today, if I can't hang out with the founder who I've invested in, I will not invest because if the founder is not willing to share, he is not open, he is not coachable, he is not adaptable, he is not uh, somebody who's uh, sort of like thinks of me as hey. I respect your opinion, and it's completely okay. You don't uh, implement that, so it's sort of a partnership in that way. So there's a learning out of that. There's a sense of I uh, I have a responsibility to help you, and the third part is obviously the financial return right now. 
even though we are still deploying our own money we don't use other people money now a more serious question in this part the second part you why because you are the serious guy no i am not <laughs> what compared does, to me first yeah compared to you <laughs> what does death means to you i think it means inevitability where uh, i mean i know it's the obvious answer but again i think i would just contrast it with not dying the whole uh i think at one point of time in fact my first blog was called immortal blog because i never wanted to die and there was this very strong feeling of a uh, very strange feeling of realizing that you're going to die and i mean i do feel at the very core people don't believe they're going to die they might intellectually know but i think the way we go around in our lives day to day behave uh, i think is just very very Im- almost impossible to internalize I, I actually when nobody has really internalized they are going to die until the last moment i think that's just because the whole biology and evolution um pushes us to sort of fight against the inevitability uh, but i also feel death is what makes life absolutely wonderful uh, if people are immortal they'll get terribly terribly bored of doing i mean if you're immortal everything will happen the same things will happen infinite number of times right there's just finite amount of atoms going around in the universe so if you were never to die you would repeat the same things all over and over again it will be super super boring so strangely death is just what makes life worth it and i just tend to remind myself of that again and again uh but i do know at the very core i also believe that i'm not going to die even though knowing that i'm that's probably the outcome but that believe that uh, you are going to die or your loved ones are not going to be there at some point in time has it changed the way you live ah certainly i think it's it's uh, impacted um very strongly by reprioritizing a lot of things one it's helped me reprioritize health because i know if there is a way you could have a longer and healthier life why not choose that it has helped me focus increasingly more on friendships uh and relationships with my parents with my family uh it's also made me realize work is one aspect of life and it's not be all and end all to it and strangely like what we were talking about it's also i think um um puts a big dent into whole legacy drive which you have i mean which i had in my 20s where i felt i had something to prove to others i want to leave a legacy all those things have completely disappeared what i want to do is just have happy days one after another almost until the last moment and if that happens it's a fulfilling life for me happy days like mean something different for different people yeah for me it's like 7 <laughs> out of 10 <laughs> a well balanced day day after day until the last moment is you don't want to call it happy ending <laughs> that that also right <laughs> why not <laughs> why why that's a joy in itself why would you take it away tell about about it yeah so for me most uh like look, look at life very practically uh death is just another event in life it's the exit event in an entrepreneurial sense of a life well lived now it is not about the death it is about how well you live your life and what sort of support systems you build for people around you whether it's mentally spiritually financially uh, especially when i have kids that when i die they are not in a turmoil now you don't want to go to either extremes you want to be in the center you are all going to die now what para said about health arms when i'm generally uh 
like he's become extremely health conscious in the last year year and a half and like his fitness is obviously proof of that testament i go through these cycles of like i'll be fit then i'll be sort of letting loose and for me this has become part of my life i would not over optimize my life choices saying that i want to delay the death because i am going to be so if you have to uh delay death you will say i'm going to make all the healthy choices in life i'm going to leave uh, alcohol for right. years i'm going to quit whole bunch of things i'm going to wake up 6 in the morning uh i'm a slightly more hedonistic guy i believe that life has to be lived and at some point you are to die you can't cheat death you can sort of push death by a couple of years or whatever it is but you're going to be there so i'll not do something where i die tomorrow and i'll also not do something where i'm like for 30 years i'm going to live like a fucking monk so that i live for 10 more years to die because then that's not my life it is inevitable it is an exit moment of your life the question is have you lived your life successfully and success happily successfully meaningfully whatever term you want to use that's a very personal choice of what you want to do and maybe different decades you decide how you want to live your life differently and it's a very personal choice society tries to dictate what's the ideal freaking life but i think as entrepreneurs which para said we are anyways defining society so it's your personal choice of what life means to you in that sense i think it's important to distinguish between life span and health span i think the point is not to live a long life for its own sake right uh but the point is if you can live a longer life with being equally healthy having good rich relationships having good work why not so um i mean you don't want to spend the last 20 years of your life bedridden i, I don't think that's the point of life is just to be there lying there and in that sense i think uh really discounting what you're doing today is probably uh not a wise decision you do have to take into account your future self where at some point of time you are going to be that person and you don't want to be blaming your past self for giving you an extremely shitty series of years or even decades but then do you believe in euthanasia then i do i do i do believe in it uh i think what is the threshold for you decide hey is it one year on the bed five years on the bed 10 years on the bed where you decide euthanasia no at any point of time where i feel there is no hope in a better life i think it's a natural decision to not sustain in a hopeless fashion right artificially yeah yeah but, so but india doesn't allow that and i hope it does it's um, i mean I, i can't believe government has something to say about people taking their own life uh, which is one of the strangest things out there I mean, I, I, I think they, they have a valid point when it comes to suicide due to mental issues. The point is to maybe help treat them. But if a mentally sane person wants to just end it all, I think they should be very happy so ways of doing that. We should celebrate a life well lived instead yeah. of mourning that. If you try to kill yourself in euthanasia, we're going to put you in jail. We're like, why is, do you see the irony in that? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, if, if there is a preventable cause... I think though this I'm talking about old age where you sort of literally living on a artificially sustained yeah, I mean, then then people have a choice I mean if people are deciding and mm. they are completely mentally healthy let yep. them do that huh. that is where the tricky situation comes on how do you prove somebody is mentally healthy when they're on the yeah I mean we are into uh, the murky territory I agree correct but I think if someone is suffering from mental disorder which can be cured sure then at least there needs to be an intervention that because you would want other people to do to you Sure. Also, you, way, no? So let's say what you're talking about is let's say some reason 20s, 30s, 40s. But imagine let's hypothetically put a cut-off date after which euthanasia should be legally allowed. Let's put 68. No, euthanasia should be allowed at any point of time. 
ഹാപ്പി just buying a 500 rupees book <laughs> that's um uh, that's financial independence for me so maybe as soon as i never thought about whether i should buy a book or not is when i achieved financial independence where i could just click and on amazon and buy it without looking at the price uh maybe it was when i was let's say 24 let me define financial 24 that yeah that realization that you never have to work for money ever again in your life Yeah, 24, 24, 25. And that has since changed the choices. I think I never worked for money in that sense. I worked to prove I could build something useful. So in that sense, I'm pretty sure if Ingify would not have worked out, I would have maybe worked somewhere else. But that would have been very temporary sort of a thing. Just a step to do my sixth startup. If that would not have worked out, I would have done seventh. Uh, I think it was just built for this. and uh, ultimately i think in startups if you keep trying one of them would crack so uh, and i'm reasonably reasonably confident saying that i would have achieved financial independence maybe the age would have differed yeah but that's because startups are a great wealth creator and if you keep trying to do startups again and again one time something will crack so it's almost an inevitability if you have the entrepreneurship gene in you that you'll end up being relatively financial well off some point in your life what about you pandav define financial independence again again palavila i still don't like, have it yeah the size of that whatever private private jet it's not financial you forgot the idea in the york ha you forgot the idea in the york but let's say whatever your current lifestyle was at that point of age hmm. right you said now i don't have to earn a single penny more to sustain that lifestyle for the rest of my life so that i've never achieved because what happens with uh money is every time you make more you sort of upgrade your life's choices and lifestyle to sort of uh so i would not want to say that you match your uh, income to your expenses i'm very conservative in that sense and i have certain ratios that i follow it only but every year you make more money you sort of buy new things you get new uh let's call it boys toys let's call it what family needs and everything there's probably not going to be a point in time where you can ever say if i never work again I'll be able to sustain. So even if I sort of uh, hypothetically after selling two companies, but I made enough out of that and also all the profit, what changes is I don't know what the kids would need. I don't know if there's going to be emergency. I don't know if there's going to be a completely unforeseen incidence of any freaking kind where I can say, hey, I'll be able to take care of all of that. So and also the fact of financial independence. So if you were to say uh, financial independence is where you did not have to go and. Uh, take a loan or ask your dad for money i think that would be at the age of 19 for me you know, i mean i completely disagree with that but um i think i mean there is an interesting book that has also come up i don't know whether you read but it's called die with zero and i um and it's a very interesting concept which i also believe in that you should aim to die with zero money in your bank and um uh, and also when it comes to the worst case scenarios i think it's impossible to predict worst worst case scenarios yes yeah, so by the earth right and you have to buy by definition oh. even the richest person cannot prevent a worst case scenario if like a meteor is coming on the earth 
what would that person so do then the money then bani the last thing i think even, pipe, so in that sense what you can really prepare for is bad scenarios sure and not worst case scenarios and if you know what bad scenarios are likely to going to cost to you i think at some stage you can say that this money is enough i mean i feel for me if i don't have to work rest of my life i can sustain for myself and at the very simple way if you have x amount of money you see oh uh, you calculate like what does it come if you say your life expectancy 80 and 90 per month how much that money manifests into even if not you take into account the appreciation of it so sure. if your monthly expenses are less than that no so i'll give you a, unless you feel your lifestyle continues to so, become so, expensive over year over year the reason i don't believe in this philosophy is because let's say you have x amount of money you put it in a, some investment banks are failed in the world countries are failed in the world there's no 100% guarantee to be able to say hey if i stop working today there's 100% guarantee based on my current expense i'll be able to live because your money also is being handled but by this some- is a, i mean this is a source of endless anxiety right you never like, get that certainty at what point of time you will get certain no, so which is where you're always so my if banks are failing i think uh, so my belief is at any point in time be skilled enough to be able to say i am able to match my current expenses there is a difference between being skilled enough to be able to work and to actually work that your optionality yeah so you will obviously we want to be relevant so that when it like when it you actually have to work you're able to work sure but until then uh financial freedom really means right you don't have to work just for money but your thesis is that you always would need to earn more and more and that's what i'm saying i think at some point of time at my belief is totally the opposite you should aim to have zero money when you're sort of yeah. dead uh, i agree with more of your point of view that you know at some point of time you realize that the rest of your life if you sustain with this lifestyle some emergency money right or if you if you buy some land for your family that you don't need to work for a single day you're working out of your own personal choice of yeah. happiness freedom whatever it is i think if you don't work you lose uh you lose your sense of life you lose purpose you lose your gray matter you lose like well, there's a difference between you don't have to work and you need to working for money i think versus the the just realization that you don't have to work sure. i think that gives a lot of clarity in the kinds of works you end up choosing exactly that's, that's important bit that's optionality yeah that's, that's important bit like i'm still sure. working but i don't need to work correct in that sense nobody can put a gun on my head and sure. do thing like no i would never sign like a term sheet with that comes with hmm. the fact that you can't to so if that is a difference I'm financial sure. independence i think that i got at i don't know maybe uh 28 29 where with that philosophy that okay sometimes some things may hit the uh, shit may hit the fan but if i never have to work again but i choose to work because i like to work and i want to create value probably 27 28 one of those years but uh, that whole so sort of the uh, deviating i fundamentally don't believe in the fire movement i don't believe that hey you retire early and just enjoy life yeah, i don't even know what retirement even means uh, even i don't know so i mean while i'm jobless and unemployed for me right now I'm pursuing new curiosity, skills, ability to sort of help other founders because at a point in time, imagine you're not doing anything. What the f- are you going to do in the house? No. So <laughs> for who's a for example? Let's say whatever. Lots of people do nothing in the house. Whatever. Hey, <laughs> your person. Ask your wife if they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> whatever is very very busy. Working hard. Whatever curiosity you're pursuing, that doesn't pay you a single penny for the next ten years. Maybe sure. it'll pay you a big amount at ten years, twenty years, but that doesn't pay you. Would you be happy with it? Absolutely. That's a long-term plan. Then I mean, that's probably one of the better plans because if you have the ability to take a 10-20 year bet, saying I am so good at it that only five people in the world will do it, 
but you have the ability to just do that and take a 10 20 year bet and the payoff is massive that risk reward ratio because let's say if i say now financially in your statement independent to not ever worry about the money that's the better willing to take but finding those opportunities are is the most difficult part like which bet do you take because the world is moving so 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 fast right now you don't know what is going to be relevant in 20 years i think lately i had a realization if you're financially independent i think two choices make a lot of sense either you should do like a totally uh non-profit kind of a work where you're just literally with no expectation of return you're almost like bill gates the second option is i think you should create art which is also like non-profit but art i'm really meaning in a very broad sense of doing things that just elevate a way of living and thinking almost an absurd thing which nobody's expecting so a very limited view of life paris you can also help other people move forward like what i'm doing with other founders as well like why they don't make money of it i'm saying if people i'm i'm saying what you need to exclude if you're financially uh free is uh an expectation of getting paid back no no for your work because a lot of other people are willing to do that job no which is i'm saying there is only certain roles in society that financially independent people can play pay forward and probably it makes sense to do pay, that no which is like you talked about two like let's say angel investment now the straight forward pay forward correct so helping other people succeed because now you have time yeah so doing that without expectation without getting a return that's very noble so that's why i'm saying i think one option is probably to do things where you have zero expectation of return look Hmm. The second is to maybe just do something which is art, comedy, absurd, which makes no sense at all, which nobody would fund for commercial reasons, but they should exist because they really nourish the soul. Agreed. Yeah. Or you can even go into like sort of changing uh, policies for society, being part of think yeah. tanks because you have a lot of knowledge. Because then you're looking at what can you do for the greater good without yeah. any, uh, expecting something back. Yeah. Because everyone is working with the expectation of return. I think it's a very yeah good. way to pursue opportunities where you absolutely don't expect anything in return is that's how you'll uplift the society but, but people are even designed for it yeah why not i mean so many people in history have done things with no expectation of return i know i mean if you're an entrepreneur you've made a lot of money by purely creating value for yourself i think it's a very very hard mindset change uh but i think there's examples all around almost like let's say bill gates I mean, in India, but Bill Gates uh, is a controversial, right? No, no. In India, Nandan Lilkani. I mean, he is one of the most beautiful examples of pushing India as a country ahead, like miles and miles ahead through his own uh, different programs and everything. Whether we talk about UPI, Aadhaar, a uh, whole bunch of programs he's running, like selflessly doing and pushing India forward in that sense. Uh, why do we need a Bill Gates as an example when we have our own Nandan Lilkani here? In India, most of the IT services founders have done enormous amounts of charity. Whether it's Mr. Premji, Mr. Nadar. whether it's nandan nilkani whether it's uh, mr murthy as well all of them basically and they have sort of reached that place with like we need to move society forward like with your point of die with zero i don't think they're looking at that but like we have created enormous value for the country for the people like it industry started by those was started by those guys we're talking about 3 million people getting uplifted directly indirectly and now they're deploying money in education they're deploying money in whole bunch of things so many more examples in terms of what does paid forward mean I'm doing it in a very small, minuscule way by helping other SaaS founders. These are like magnanimously large uh, examples in our own country. In that sense, yeah, I do think. I mean, you owe it to other people because you are a construct of a society. Just because yeah, you were born in a not a poor family, you got educated, you got opportunities. Like even literally, the fact that my father got me a computer and someone else's didn't. 
that made the whole difference. So there is a sense of obligation of giving back to the society that actually made your life possible. I have a question for you, Pars. Do you think the charity gene comes after a certain age or is this uh, inherent in humans with like, yes, I do charity or yes, I do, do not do charity? Hypothetically, like a lot of these people who sort of committed to the giving pledge were post 50 or 60. Let's say 20 and 30, we are so materialistic and hedonistic. Is it a function of age or is it a function of something else? I think it's a function of realization that uh, more money is not going to make you more satisfied in life. Yeah, but in 30 seconds, buy a whole bunch of sports cars, yachts. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm sure Bill Gates would have bought, Prem, he would have bought, but after maybe a couple of cars, they would have realized it's not worth it. So I think money does have marginal returns in your life satisfaction. And after that, if you could, why not just pay it back? It's just, this like purchasing power is lying with you. Why not redistribute it? I think it's just natural. And I think it's obviously a lot to do with evolutionary uh, drives of increasing our status. So there is benefit of charity out there. It's not all selfless. If it were selfless, we'll not see names on buildings. Charities would be anonymous. So there is a large extent of status also being involved in the mix. But I think it's a good trade-off if others get balanced and you have a name on your building. Yeah. But what are the things that give you anxiety that, that you fear about? Mr. Pallav feared about right, not having left enough for his kids. I think what gives me anxiety is uh, the possibility of my mind not being functional. So not being able to think, not being able to creative because uh, I mean, I derive a lot of satisfaction of from reading and digesting complex ideas, being creative in my problem solving. So, um, getting any kind of mental illness, which to a large extent I don't have any control over, I think that is like my biggest fear um, of just waking up one day and realizing maybe my memory is gone, my theory ability is gone. I think partly it had happened where I felt growing a company was not intellectually stimulating me and that's one of the reasons I shifted my role from CEO to chairman and I dived myself in my sabbatical to reading a lot of... Uh, Physics, chemistry, because I just wanted to see that I don't want to get just intellectually uh, blunt. I think that's my biggest fear. So anxiety. So the I mean, I'm gonna reach. I'm gonna change that statement. Like the anxiety is not that what I'm gonna leave for the kids. Anxiety is always when you have kids, are they gonna turn up to be uh, sort of self-independent, uh, being molded in the right way? Nobody gives you a book for parenting. You, every parent is winging on the way. They're like, oh shit, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. I think others are also kids. That's why. There's no manual for life and there's no manual for kids. So on the personal side, the anxiety is mostly when you have kids, you're like, are we doing the right things? And while you have a deluge of information online and everywhere, your communities and everything, you st- and you could be a helicopter parent, you could be uh, like a completely detached parent. Uh, and both of those models have worked in very well in the world. So you are not sure where you want to place yourself in the society. I think none of those models have worked but out, by the way. What's worked out somewhere in the middle. <laughs> we don't even know which part of the middle. So in the professional life, I think uh, I can talk about myself, but I've also talked to a bunch of friends. Every entrepreneur uh, who has become successful or sold of company or two companies, they have this sense of imposter syndrome. Shit, was it luck or was it me? Then second time they go through it and they're like, so they say one is luck, two is probably double luck, three is probably pattern. Uh, I'm at two. And every time you go through it, you're like, this is imposter syndrome. And the anxiety comes from the fact, hey, what next? What is the purpose of life? Where do I find significance? And 
the human mind is trained like a monkey you are a part of a peer group which is the entire earth and the society and uh if uh and i'm gonna connect it with the dna of the cities if you're in a society where ideas are respected where what you're doing is respected you're sort of uh pushed into the motion of saying hey what next so most of the time when i meet people uh after selling the second one also like hey what next and earlier i'll be like oh i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm doing that now become sort of more non-insecure the reverse of insecure i'm like i just give a response i'm chilling the f- out right now because the pressure to say ki because right now i'm not very clear on what i want to do next but i'm doing a hundred other things on angel investments and all those things but from the point of view of building what next i have no f- idea right now do i want to build next absolutely sure but the journey to building next is not like a process of saying hey here are five ideas you go pick one and go and build it's a journey for yourself to be able to figure out why do i want to build this idea and once you've done a couple of those your qualifiers become more and more bigger because you now you say hey either larger market size or something which has more again we are not going to use the word impact but maybe revenue opportunity and a whole bunch of those things so your negation becomes higher but when you sort of then connect it back to what you built for the first company you said i was just tinkering kuch hua kuch hua us pe company build uh, build ho gayi second one was somewhere in between so then you are sort of navigating between the aspect of hey earlier i was a tinkerer wahan se kuch nikla now i'm sort of looking like a mba guy trying to force fit yeah. into the market kahan par opportunity hai and the anxiety comes from that like which part of uh, that is you are you this mba guy trying to start looking at tap versus are you a tinkerer and this two conflict between the personalities creates anxiety and then when you uh, sort of beat uh, anybody and you say ki nahi pata kya karna people give you a blank stare now obviously i've gotten way better right now to be able to say nahi pata chill kar rahe so now when people ask i'm like i'm chilling the fuck out but internally you know ki ha you want to do something also you reach out to the right people for the help but this question of what are you doing next is what gives me anxiety i think i just want to build up on this just a slight tangent but for second time entrepreneurs um, it is difficult in a different way wherein i think they because more often than not they are financially f- free so they paint a very idealistic picture of what they want to build uh, almost like mba this is a large market opportunity will they would have a long plan step 1 step 2 step 3 and all that but most likely what works is what worked in their first case this tinkering at a problem and not knowing what will come out of it because if in a startup it's so obvious the opportunity how it's going to unfold somebody would already be doing it and startups are all read about tinkering something where there's a lot of uncertainty so it is a big trap with second for second time founders where they feel they figured it out but actually value is created when nobody is figured out you just have to waste your time tinkering to be able to unlock something of value so it is like oh shit my entire fund is dedicated on second time founders now <laughs> <laughs> ask them what what are they tinkering instead of asking them for business plan it never work out i think fear of failure also there surprisingly no i mean i don't think i mean i'm doing it again as a second time founder um i mean it failure i mean there's obviously um let's say you give 10 years in internet doesn't work out the way yeah that's totally fine because now like i said my source of joy is every day what am i learning and i also know given what i've seen my first startup there's so many random uh and lucky factors involved which are beyond my control that i don't think i would attribute 
both the success and the failure just to myself. Obviously, there is part of what I do mattering, but there's so many factors in terms of industry, technology, competition that I, I don't think I would feel I have failed. Let's say if Ninti has failed. Actually, Ninti, I can give you an example why this is going to be fun. So actually, this one even you don't know. So I was hanging out with a friend in Chandigarh, but a friend from Chandigarh had come to Bangalore. He came to know about an Ninti, about Ninti because this, his uh, friend was a lady. She was lost like a whole bunch of it and she, he was like, what the has happened to you? And she told him about Ninti. You pretty might probably know the guy. I'm not saying it here. And then I do, this is a really working. She is one of your customer. But even the ability to make an impact. So in his case, probably the impact is higher because you're basically changing a person's view of life and health and everything. Which is where, uh, in a B2B, I fundamentally believe it's not possible. Nahi hai. But in your case, even if hypothetically the business fails, but even if it changes like 10 lives for better, where they extend their lives or whatever it is, and 10 is a very small number. I think you're working with a lot more with them. Uh, if I were him, even if I change one life, I'll still be very happy saying I made an impact in a real sense on somebody's human life. Even if the business fails, I'm going to be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, so in, in my like current setups, people come up and say, you know, I feel much more healthier, much more fitter. And now the scope obviously is expanded from health coaching mm. to more or less, you know, personal growth coaching. So people end up saying, you know, I feel less lonely. I think that's a source of satisfaction in that sense. Uh, obviously, I wanted to be hugely commercially successful. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I won't attribute like, I won't take failure personally. I think I've learned my lesson from the first startup not to do that. Balav, do you, did you take any time uh, infusion charts and things are going down failure personally? In my case, I have not experienced failure at a level where it would sort of kill the entire castle. Because Fusion Yard is the first company that became non-personally successful in its own sense. Beach Major Ventures, which um, I think some of them succeeded, didn't succeed. But it was under the umbrella. We have had a couple of bad years. We have had and our team getting fi- uh, sorry, the team getting hired by somebody else. So those are ups and downs, but at a pure business level. I don't think I have seen failure in the sense where I had to worry about ki kal payroll kaise aega. I had to worry about ki yaar, uh, what the am I really doing. Because even in the worst of the case, I knew my entire engineering team has left. I'm like, customers hai, product ka request aa hai, wo paise de rahe hai. I have to figure out engineering team waise kaise banana. So most of those were tactical. Uh, we have had a bunch of field products and I'm still very proud ki we started with thesis, it did not work out. We have had a whole field bunch of, uh, my own internal decisions, be it HR, be it uh, culture side, all of that. None of those basically killed us. In my case, we just got very, very, very lucky. Even I was 16, I started with one thing, just went on and on. Obviously, there's a lot of, uh, in hindsight, I can justify saying, ki humne ye sahi kia, ye sahi kia. we did this right. But I've not seen a colossal failure in that sense, which would sort of put me down and I don't want to come out of my bed for like four weeks that I've not seen yet. You see that I have like a relatively strong opinion on this when it comes to failure and startups. I mean, look where failure has got us. We are talking about financial independence. So failure in startups literally, if you do again and again, gets you financially independent. And I think we should celebrate failure in startups because there is someone who's gone out and unlike almost everyone else in society, try to venture into something which is completely unknown. And obviously, when you're getting into unknown, I mean, if something is very obvious, success is obvious, it's most likely going to be incremental. But if something which is more likely than not 
to be failed i think we should celebrate it unless you are you can't just reward successes in a field uh exclusively because successes and massive successes i think they come obviously they have a counterpoint of massive failures and failures in a practical sense really doesn't mean anything you end up learning so much building a startup that you will be much better off versus your peers what so is this defining the level of failure so for example like i know a couple of founders who uh, sold their house put all the money in the company in that case of failure is like financially disastrous for the family i don't think either of us offers up gone through that because we're playing safe i think one of the other things is when you are very early you can take a lot more risk this is like right now hypothetically if i didn't have any money at 40 and have to feed two kids and a wife and family my risk taking ability would be much lower so failure at this point would hurt a lot more versus when you're eating because then you're like yeah bhuke nangi to hai parents ke sath rahenge yeah but i i, I mean in, even if i i don't know why anyone would sell their house to put in a in healthy reservation conviction authentic conviction dude that is a that is that's, that's a job of vcs and lps for which this amount of money is just dropping the ocean uh, why would you put your own house on the line when because and he made it he paid tricking ball out of that out of i mean obviously i mean he could have but i'm saying really thinking i mean maybe it's a personal way of thinking but i would never risk putting my house uh for i mean it's sort of like putting your house for a lottery right startups are sure. it they're not exactly lottery but they have elements of lottery like things in there it's just betting then um and I betting with your own money to something which is inherently random is just i think i'll still do that yeah maybe because, the personality but i mean i won't risk getting on the streets mm. just because um, i have conviction in my startup so many other things matter when it comes to startups sure maybe now they matter to you more when you were 36 they might not have mattered to you when you were 22 because there was nothing to put into i mean <laughs> living parents rent free getting meals for free i mean investment my investment when if i was literally 10 dollars for a server um so what the domain yeah 200 bucks for domain now they're so expensive 200 i know yeah wow <laughs> that was the investment literally so when when you say roi when you are early i think the roi can be almost infinite because you're putting in so little this has been a, such a fantastic conversation I yeah it's been lovely yeah <laughs> hopefully we'll do a second episode of this <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Tell us once we get to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thank you so much, Dad, for hosting us. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you.